Okay, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Ryan Pale. I'm the community outreach pastor at uh, Grace Bible Church, and I'm really excited to be here with you all this morning. It's kind of fun. My son uh, encouraged, I don't know if I'm going to do this with y'all yet, but my son, before we were starting, he encouraged me to have all of you do the wobble just to kind of get loose, get a little bit loose. And he proceeded to show me what the wobble looks like, even though I didn't know. And so uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to spare you all that. We'll try it maybe on the 11 o'clock service. Or um, if you don't know what it is, just ask Chris Thompson and he will drop everything and do the wobble. So um, just catch him after the service. Well, we're going to start out with a, a little bit of an extended uh, announcement this morning. I want to talk about uh, Country Fair. For those of you who don't know, Country Fair is this outstanding event that Grace Bible Church puts on every year. We've been um, doing it for, I don't know, 15 years, at, at least 15 years. And it's this cool event where uh, it's the Wednesday right before Halloween and kids dress up in whatever the latest action figure is and they come to our parking lot and they go to different booths and they get lots of candy and then we inevitably have like one person that's like wearing this weird mask that we're always looking for but that's beside the point. Um, the kids have a great time and thousands of people from our community come to our parking lot and it's this amazing event. Subversively, I've always got a separate agenda, and so one of the things that we really want to use Country Fair for, though, is to empower the people of Grace Bible Church to reach out into the community. And it's really cool because we have a couple hundred people that volunteer and provide this cool chance for members of our community to come to our church. So it's outstanding. So it accomplishes two things, empowers y'all and provides for our community to, to love our neighbors. And we have these two values. Well, then a month ago, we have this huge devastating hurricane come through and just destroy our coastal region. And we have neighbors and we have people in an extended community that are still reeling from the loss that they suffered. You know, we're a month out and so we're able to kind of go about our lives and kind of continue um, whatever it was that we were doing, including things like planning country fair. The hurricane damage isn't on cable news network anymore. We've kind of moved on to the next uh, thing that's being talked about. And that's hard. That's unsettling, frankly, uh, for me. For those of you who have lost loved ones, you know that in the first couple of weeks after you lose your loved one, it's, it's really helpful to have people in your life. And then after they leave, you're still left with a loss that you've suffered. And so we, we as a church decided that we wanted to, instead of mobilizing the people of Grace Bible Church to serve an event in our parking lot for our community, we want to use all, we want to use the thousands of dollars, the hundreds of volunteers, the hundreds of man hours put into mobilizing our people into a different effort. So we've recommissioned our country fair team to work on hurricane relief strategies for this year. And so we won't be having a country fair and in its place, we're going to be mobilizing all of you to serve people that were affected in the coastal regions. Now, this could be, oh good, that's awesome. Okay, so this is tricky though, because our main partnership in Houston just told us this last week that, hey, we no longer need people to come down here with sledgehammers and to destroy flooring and sheetrock. That's not the need anymore. Now we're shifting to uh, more skilled labor. But the difficulty is that there still are under-resourced communities that haven't had the throngs of people flocking to their areas to help with the process. We also still have thousands of people, as of this morning, still in, in convention centers, in NRG Stadium, uh, and there are children there, and there are children's programs that are still going on there and will be for the foreseeable future. 
And even though we've all continued with our lives here, they still are stuck in it. And we want to find out ways that we can mobilize our people to go down and to love on the children and the families that are still there. It's going to take creativity. And it's going to take a lot of hard work. And we believe so strongly in recommissioning the Country Fair team to do this. And Creekside, uh, I want for us to have that opportunity with our kids, as I'm going to have with my kids, where when they come to us and ask if we're going to go to Country Fair this year, I want all of us parents of young children to have the opportunity to say, you know what, we're, we aren't going to be doing Country Fair this year, which I know is disappointing. And I know it's difficult. Halloween's still on. Can't cancel that. But I want us to have the opportunity to be able to say, instead of doing this amazing thing that we love so much, we're going to be kind of interrupted from that. And we're going to go and find ways to love and to serve people that are still hurting. And what a cool way for us to train our families to begin to think uh, with that type of worldview to where we're constantly looking out for our neighbors. So that's the way that we're following the Lord, and that's what we're doing this year. So no country fair, and instead we're going to um, help out people that have been affected by, uh, by Hurricane Harvey, and that's going to happen in the coastal area, and that's going to happen here in town as well. If y'all have any questions at all, please come and talk to me. I'd say email me, but if you've ever been one of the unlucky people that have emailed me and expected a response, I would just say, come and grab me and ask me in person, and I'd be more than happy to, uh, to get in touch with you or, and to talk to you about it. So any questions at all, please let me know, and we can uh, talk about it. Well, we're continuing our, uh, our sermon series through Ephesians today. Uh, we're going to be on Ephesians 3 this morning, and I always think it's funny, as I've read through uh, Ephesians, I, I got to say it's my favorite book of the Bible. I don't know if that's heretical to have a favorite book. It's all the Word of God, but I just kind of gravitate toward Ephesians frequently. It's used in almost every day of my life. I'm referencing through Ephesians. But it's interesting because we, uh, we kind of break Ephesians down in chunks. For those of us who have either studied Ephesians intensely or moderately or just heard of it, we kind of break it up into these different chunks, these nuggets of gold that we find throughout the book of Ephesians. You have in Ephesians chapter 1, you have something about predestination, and let's hurry up and get through that because we don't know what in the world that's talking about. And then we go to Ephesians 2, it's our security blanket where we are like, okay, yes, we were sinners, we were by nature objects of wrath, and we were separated from God, but oh gosh, thank goodness, but God, in his grace, he saved us. And it's not by works that we can do uh, so that we can't boast. He extended his grace to us, and, and that's really good. We camp out in the first part of Ephesians 2. And then we move forward, and we have Ephesians 4, which you know, talks about not letting the sun go down on our anger. And then in Ephesians 5, we hear these words on submission, and uh, we kind of camp out there for our spouse, because our spouse always needs to hear what it looks like to be a godly spouse. And then we have in Ephesians 6, where we read about spiritual warfare, putting on the armor of God, which is systematically undergirded every VBS of all time and all places, where we talk about the armor of God. And so we skip through and we take all these little nuggets, but if you'll notice, I have missed out on Ephesians 3, and that's because there's no nuggets in Ephesians 3. There's nothing that I'm going to Ephesians 3 about to say, I don't wake up in the morning and all inspired about how to live my life differently because of Ephesians 3. In fact, the first half of it talks about a mystery, and the second part of it is a prayer that Paul prays for his church. And I'm not necessarily going to draw to that, but what I want to posed to y'all this morning 
is that Ephesians 3 is absolutely crucial to the book. In fact, in many ways, the, the, the chapter is an apex of the book. We've moved from uh, God has redeemed us to himself and to one another, and now we've got to play that out in our daily lives afterward. And it happens at a crux right here in Ephesians 3. So, y'all, I'm going to give y'all uh, just a moment to uh, find Ephesians 3, 1 through 13 in your Bible, and then we're going to read along. Okay, I'll be helpful. I have it up here too. Okay, Ephesians 3, starting in, um, in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, although I am the very least of all the saints, This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose of that he is realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Thank you, Lord. Well, this is a uh, pivotal moment in the letter. And as I mentioned before, we have tr- we're sort of transitioning out of the previous couple of chapters. And this is one of those moments where it's really important for us to go back and to look at and to realize and remember what Matt had talked about last Sunday, because this is following up with that. So if you remember, and and many of y'all might not have been here as well, but Matt was talking about how uh, in this passage, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, um, we have this amazing language, how the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down in Christ. You had this church that was comprised of Jews and Gentiles, and they had arranged their lives around being separated from one another. And now all of a sudden in Christ, those walls are torn down and they're supposed to eat meals together. And they're supposed to be friends with one another. And they're supposed to love one another as brother and sister and to be co-heirs. The Gentiles who were far off have been brought near. And Matt teased it out a little bit more for us uh, as he said, you know, the Jew and Gentile debate is, is no longer the issue that we're faced with. We're no longer spinning about what to do with circumcision and uncircumcision. That's not our thing. In fact, that went away only when those two people groups suffered persecution and needed one another to survive. So that's not our issue anymore. So what Matt did is he talked about, he used the language of tribe. He talked about how we break into these tribes where we kind of spin on some type of common value or common belief system. And so he talked about a tribe may be people that we all have the same quirky sense of humor, or we all have similar taste in music, or uh, we all have the same political affiliations, or we all have the same um, uh, the same views on any number of issues. And so what we do is we gravitate toward people 
that believe and that think and that look just like us. I don't know if you've had those moments where you meet a stranger and y'all just click like that. It's almost like you're speaking the same language. You just click, you get each other, and we gravitate toward people like that. And that's totally fine. We're wired toward similarity. And we huddle and we huddle in. But the more that we build into these tribes and the more time that we spend in these tribes, the more we look for stimuli that reinforces the tribe. As this tribe continues, we talk about the common issue. I've been in a tribe where the common issue was bitterness. And so we talk about the things that we're bitter about because we're all bitter about the same thing. And so we find one another and we spin and we reinforce one another. And none of us have the wherewithal to say, wait a second, there might be actually other realities that are going on outside of what's happening in our little tribe here. I remember hearing Matt last week as he was teasing out that tribal mentality and he was talking about the tribes need to break down their walls so that outsiders can be brought in. And I remember thinking, that's right. Those, out, those people do need to break down their walls. And so I started thinking in my mind all the walls that other people need to break down based on what I was passionate about. I was sitting right there thinking about that. And then it wasn't until, I'm ashamed to say, very, very late, either in the sermon or after the sermon, that I finally started to realize, wait a second, there's a hypothetical situation where walls might exist also in my life as well. That issue that's common to all of humanity for all time might also be something that I'm dealing with as well. And so I had to sit there and think through what are the walls that I have put up in my mind. It's easy for me to think about the other people's walls and not about my own. And so I hope for those of us who were in here last week that we aren't stuck in that pattern of thinking, yeah, other people do need to tear down their walls. I hope that it's caused a little bit of reflection for all of us to think through what are the walls that our tribe has built up that keep people on the outside, that keep them on the outside. So Matt talked about that, and for Jews and Gentiles, uh, this was an issue that was going on. I'm just going to say a huge issue that's going on uh, now in our tribal mentality is over the issue of race and racism, right? That's just the way it is. Now let's talk about that. We have, within the book of Ephesians alone, we have the model for reconciliation. Literally, racial reconciliation is modeled in what Matt talked about last week and what we're going to continue to talk about this week. I've looked at other things that are out there, other uh, religions or other, uh, other processes for reconciliation. There's no better option than what happens within the church of Christ. Because it's only in the church of Christ that we realize that Christ is, that we're all sinners, first of all, and that we have, not because of anything that we've done or any privileges that we have or preferences that we have, not because of anything that we've done, but we've been given access to God through Christ. And so we have no ability to discriminate against other people because they, I haven't done anything to earn my way and neither have other people. So we're kind of all on level playing ground there. Secondly, God calls us in Christ to be the church which demonstrates that his gospel goes to all nations. It goes to everybody. Again, therefore, I can't discriminate. Secondly, I'm called to die to myself. I don't get to rise up under the things that I do right and other people do wrong. It's just not an option for us. What's sad to me, though, is that we have this amazing model where we humble ourselves for the sake of other people We have the best model in the world, and yet we refuse to act on it. 
I remember about 10 years ago think, thinking about this where um, I was starting to hear a little bit of a buzz about, hey, there might be a, an issue between minority communities and majority communities. There might be something going on there. And then I would come back into my context, which is, which is a predominantly white church, and I would start to listen to how we're, how we're talking about what well, we're not talking about because we don't face this stuff. So, um, so I just started to see this kind of disparity. Well, a few years ago, then you have all these events that are happening that are making the news, and there's some momentum, and but the momentum isn't toward reconciliation. The momentum is for division. Because you have people in some churches that are uh, sort of denying the reality, and you have people in other situations that may be embellishing it. But in the middle, the great majority is, uh, of people are kind of in this middle area where we're willing to concede, oh yeah, racism might be an issue. And yes, racism is definitely an issue. But we have refused to listen to one another. And you know what happened? We outsourced the conversation that's, uh, that's supposed to happen within the church. We've outsourced it to the world. And so now these things are being spun in political dialogues. If any of you watched, Riggs told me about this this morning. If any of you watched ESPN yesterday, it's all over ESPN. Guys, ESPN is talking about this stuff. That's not the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> Jesus, come back. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But we have outsourced the conversations on justice because we haven't, acted on and talked about the thing that we have modeled beautifully in our church. Okay, so what we're asking, what Paul is asking is he's saying, look, you have the model, live out the model. Let's see the language that he uses here in Ephesians 3. Uh, He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace uh, that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Later, he says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And later, he says, this was the plan that God had from the beginning, from eternity. What is the mystery? The mystery isn't that Gentiles would be saved, although that's part of it. The mystery is that Gentiles are brought together. That we're now one family. Christ has instituted a new humanity and that we're to live into that new humanity as the church. This is really complex, especially going back to the Jew and Gentile situation that was going on where um, if I'm a Gentile, I'm saying, okay, Paul, that's great. Unity, all that kumbaya stuff. Uh, that's great. We're reconciling Christ. I'll be reconciled with one another, he says in a different book. But that's great, Paul. Thank you for that. Uh, Paul, don't forget uh, that part of the reason that we're divided is that God gave Jews all of these statutes and commands to keep them divided from us. Let's not forget that the way they spend their money, worship, uh, cook their food, eat the food that they eat, all areas of their life are separated from us. And that I am repulsive, I'm impure, I'm unclean because of the commands that God had set up. Let's not forget about that, Paul. Did God do this sort of cosmic about-face where he now pities this uh, poor, ugly, repulsive child and now he's bringing us back in? Or maybe you're, they were on the other side, of it, maybe, uh, other side of the coin where it's Jews and they're saying, wait a second, the one God that we have proclaimed for millennia, one God, Yahweh, master of the universe, who has the criteria for holiness set up and we have abided by it for millennia and when we don't abide by it, we're cursed, has God all of a sudden changed his mind? Okay, that's great, we're in a new family, but what happened to the entire history that we have set up up until this point? Why does it just go away? It doesn't really work like that. 
So Paul answers it, and oh man, if this isn't one of the most disappointing answers in all the world, he says, well, it's a mystery. He uses the mystery word like four different times in this section, and um, I don't know if there's a more irritating answer to life's deep questions besides, it's a mystery. But I have no, pro- by, I have no problem doling out the mystery you know, answer to my kids when they ask me, wait, so Jesus is God, but, God, but also he's uh, man and God, how does that work out? And, well, it's a mystery. Um, so I have no problem with that, but this is, a, uh, this is unsatisfactory. And so Paul teases it out a little bit more, and he says, this is a plan from the beginning, from eternity, God had this in mind. Let's not forget that God created the garden and the people in the garden and that their job was to rule over all of the earth and to have a perfect relationship with God, to have a perfect relationship with one another and to have a perfect relationship with creation. Let's not forget about that whole thing. And let's not forget that it was pride and arrogance that got us kicked out of the garden and it was violence that um, caused evil and further separated uh, us from one another and then ultimately it was pride again in the Tower of Babel that sent us out uh, into the world that divided us. Let's not forget that whole pride and humanity aspect. And let's not forget about all these little stories of God trying to bring the nations back into himself and to bring Gentiles back in. What happened in Genesis 11 was God said, I'm going to leave you to your divisive ways. And so what he did after that was he said, okay, out of his grace, he chose a people, not because of anything they had done, but because of his choosing. He chose a people to navigate being righteous, wholly devoted to him in the midst of a world that hates him. And he showed them how to do that. But then he also has these amazing stories about Gentile prostitutes who act out of faith. And in acting out of faith, they become these hallmarks of our faith. Rahab is listed in uh, Jesus' genealogy. She's highlighted. She's a hero of the faith. And so you have this instance of God bringing the nations back to himself. You have Isaiah as he looks out for what the kingdom of God is going to look like one day. He talks about how Egypt, Assyria, and Israel will all be co-partakers in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine how insulting that is for Israel? So much of their identity is built on being oppressed by Egypt or by Assyria. And now all of a sudden God is saying there will come a day where if they submit themselves to me that they will be fellow partakers in what you were doing. That's highly offensive. Then we have, when Jesus is born, you have the Magi bringing gifts to him as a way to show the world that the true king over all the world has been born. They bring gifts as a way to declare that the sovereignty of Christ is going out among the nations. And we see this culminating in Revelation 7, where we have people from every tribe and tongue and nation before the throne of Christ declaring his praise. So this trajectory has continued since eternity past. And here we are in the church in 2017. We're stuck somewhere in that time. We're we're stuck right in the middle where we see the trajectory of where Christ is going, but we still have realities that we're facing. And what Paul is saying here is the mystery that was hidden from us before has now been fully revealed to us. And we're called to live into that mystery as it proclaims God's wisdom to the world but it's not that easy, right? It's never that easy whenever Jesus calls you to do things that are, you know, like him. Uh, it's never easy. So I've got a couple of things uh, that I want to run by us that hinder us from the, living into the mystery that Christ called us to as a church. One of them is 
Right, so we live in a, and this is a good thing, we, we live in a world that is, um, or in a culture that we have rights. That we have, our nation is established on these things that you cannot take from us. It's an amazing thing, and people have given their lives for it forever, for hundreds of years. We have these rights, but sometimes what happens is these rights carry into the church where we feel like there's certain things that people can't take away from me. You can't take away my preferences for worship, or you can't take away um, where I get to sit, or where I get to go to church, whatever it is. You can't take these things away, and we have these rights that are brought into our congregation. You don't have a right to switch things up on me, okay? We also have preferences. Oh, man. Do we have preferences in church? It's possible. We have so many choices. Y'all, there are so many amazing churches in Bryan College Station that are doing things in our city that Grace Bible Church will not do because it's not how we're wired. They're doing some amazing things in this community. There are brothers and sisters that are preaching today that we pray for, and they're mobilizing people to be lights in a dark world. We have so many choices of where to go. But what happens is, as beautiful and as amazing as that is, is we have the opportunity also to say, well, I'm going to go to this church. You know what? The preaching didn't work out the way I want it to, so I'm going to go to this church that has good preaching. Ah, dang it. Well, the worship isn't good, but the preaching is really good, so let me try this church. What? They do wine and communion cups? Can't do that. So we keep going on and on and on, and we have these preferences, these things that we stand by that we don't want to uh, change. Uh, And the problem is that we import our preferences into what's supposed to happen in church. Instead, what we ought to be asking, let me qualify and say, we need to select a church that we can grow in, period. So obviously, presidents come to bear, but they're not the only factor that we look at for when we choose a church. Instead, what if we ask the question of, uh, the gospel is being preached in this church, and how can I serve? How can I help be a part of building up this church to become all that God has called it to be? We lose this ability to persevere, the next one is uh, preservation. Y'all have heard me say this before. Um, safety is an idol in our, uh, in our world. So I see this beautifully demonstrated in, uh, in being a dad of young children. I was the classic helicopter dad. And you can always tell the dads of kids for the first time, Winklers, uh, you can always tell the, uh, you can always tell the dads, they're first-time dads on the playground because you have this, this equipment, this playground equipment that has been scrutinized and vetted more than like anything else in the world to protect the safety of children because they've got some vested interest to keep kids safe. But then you still see the dads, like as the kid's going down the slide, kind of holding around on the slide as the kid loops around because the kid could fall off. Or um, somebody like me, I can see the worst case scenario in every situation. So my, uh, my 18-month-old is crawling toward a straw, and I'm thinking of, oh my gosh, could they fashion this straw into a bow and arrow and impale somebody, uh, and I'm going to suffer with that for the rest of my life. And so I watch out for the straw and, and t- pull them out of you know, my 18-month-old's hands. We have this like idolatry of safety um, and of keeping things safe and, uh, and seamless. We import those things even into the church where we have these certain things that we want to preserve, that we want to keep safe. I think about what if we um, had a church in town for whatever reason, if we had a church that um, had to worship with us one morning, and this church happened to be of a different demographic or a so- different socioeconomic background, and they were bringing their worship uh, preferences to bear on ours, uh, could we worship with them? 
How long could we uh, worship with a group that, uh, of people that are going to yell out amens and hallelujahs and uh, that are going to maybe dance during worship? How long could we do that before we leave? So we have these preferences that we hold on tightly to. Do you see why Paul is harping on the issue of unity in our church? I think one of the things that's particularly powerful is you look at these, this list of rights and preferences and preserving ourselves, and we are called to follow a Savior that forsook all of those things, right? He gave up his rights when he took on rotting flesh. He was sovereign over all of the nations, and even though he was still, he took on flesh, and he was limited in many ways by the flesh that he took on. My goodness, he let go of his preferences to the point where he died. He forsook his safety to the point that he died an absolutely embarrassing death. He was put in a disgraceful situation on a cross on a rubbish heap, on a trash heap. And he died. But he didn't, that's not just for Jesus. We're told in Philippians, have the same attitude in ourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus who gave up his rights, his preferences, and his safety. But not only did Paul say that, but Christ tells us that we're to pick up our cross and follow him. This isn't a call for morality. This is a call to do the type of work that's supposed to be done in a world that's going to hate God and may hate you. Go all the way to love your enemies. As Christ was having the nails pounded into his wrists, Uh, He was asking for forgiveness for these people. By the way, it's the only forgiveness, uh, uh, the only way that forgiveness could come to them is, uh, is for the nails to be pierced into his hands. And he's saying, forgive them, Lord. And he calls us into that same lifestyle, into the same mystery. So we're sitting there and we're like, okay, that, that's great. We need to be unified and, uh, and, and I get it uh, that, you know, God always wanted this to happen, but why? What's the, what's the point of us living out this mystery? And um, we're going to read on. It says this, to me, the very least of all, oops, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of that mystery which for ages had been hidden in God who created all things. Here it is. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. That's kind of a strange verse for many, many reasons. One is, I don't know when the last time y'all used manifold uh, to describe God or just in general. Uh, it probably was a long time ago, especially if, you, if I don't count talking about motors. Uh, so I remember reading this passage for the first time and thinking, I have no idea what manifold means. I don't know if I'm alone. I was an English minor too. I have no idea what manifold means. So then I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go to other translations and I'm going to figure out if they have a better, you know, understanding of what it means. And they say variegated. (laughs) So like if there's one word that I use less in the English language, the manifold, it's variegated. I have no idea what in the world uh, that means. But what we see is that this is the same language that was used for Joseph in the, uh, in the coat that he had. That was this beautiful tapestry of interwoven colors. Manifold is what we see when we go out into the fields in spring in Texas where you see the blue bonnets and the Indian paintbrushes and the, um, and the uh, buttercups, the flowers that are pink that you get on your nose and your face gets all yellow. And, and, those, and, and so you see all these colors, pinks and blues and reds and yellows, all over the fields, and you look at that, and that somehow displays 
the amazing wisdom of God, but we have no idea how. How does that declare the manifold wisdom of God? Well, what he's saying is that in a world where separation ought to exist, in fact, where separation is completely natural, God's wisdom is most beautifully displayed in the bringing together of all these different colors or backgrounds or whatever it is. It's the most beautiful display of God's wisdom. We could easily see wisdom being defined as keep the group separate so there's not fighting, uh, but God's wisdom says bring them together because I've empowered them and I am ruler over all the nations. They all come together. This is particularly profound because, as you know, Paul was hated by pretty much everybody, you know, whether Jewish or rulers or uh, whatever it is, he landed in jail because he rubbed people the wrong way. I think one of the ways that this rubs people the wrong way is that he lived in the Roman world. So what's the, what's the rule of the Roman or the Greek world, the ancient Near East, is to rule the nations. And so my power is, uh, as a ruler, as Caesar, is to, uh, de- well, it's to demonstrate my power to other nations as I conquer other peoples and I wipe out their identity and import them into my culture. So we go into these other nations and we conquer them. We have their wives marry into our family. We strip their religious identity or any other identities that go on. We use fear and we use murder and coercion to make them look like us. So the powers that work in the world seek to have uniformity. Because when you have uniformity, then you don't have to worry about dissent. So here's Jesus saying that his church is not called to uniformity. In fact, that doesn't display the manifold wisdom of God, the church is called to unity. One power uses force and murder and coercion to enforce its values. The other uses things like love and humility and self-giving in all aspects of their life. And that is how the manifold wisdom of God is testified to not only the world, but to the powers and principalities. It says this interesting thing about the manifold wisdom of uh, God being displayed to the powers and principalities, which is a spiritual context in the heavenly places. So what we've seen in the book of Ephesians, there's these two kind of themes that are going on. You have, um, you have the world that we can see where unified with God, unified with one another, this is how it plays out. That's what we see, but then you have this other narrative that's being undergirded or that's undergirding what's happening in the church you have in ephesians 1 we talk about how christ has ruled over the powers and the principalities and then in this it talks about how the church is therefore called to witness to to testify about the wisdom of god to the powers and principalities and then at the very end in 6 then you have um, the fact that um, we are in the midst of a battleground and so therefore church gird yourselves up with salvation and truth. And we're given these weapons to fight in the warfare. So I want to leave us with this one thing this morning as we think about our role, about living out the type of mystery in this world that testifies to the manifold wisdom of God. And I just want to ask us a simple question. Within our church or within our lives, Do we live out the type of mystery that bears witness to the manifold wisdom of God? Do we huddle in our tribes and in doing so keep other people on the outside? Or do we testify to the diverse 
the manifold wisdom of God, where we bring all people in. So many of us, probably, we, we huddle in our own tribes. That's just, that's natural, as I mentioned before. And there's absolutely space for that. Absolutely fine, in many ways. But the true question for us, the church, is do we, in doing so, create walls that maintain that some people are on the outside and other people are not? Other people are on the inside. What are the structures that we have set up in our lives to where we're allowed to stay within our huddle, within our tribe? These aren't usually intentional. They just, you just make decisions and, and that happens. But what Paul is calling us to is to find ways that we're able to live into that mystery. Y'all bow with me. Lord Jesus, uh, sometimes the life that you call us into is so uh, difficult and frustrating and beautiful and amazing. Lord, would you please help us, help us to learn how to be a holy people that bears witness to who you are in this world and in the heavenly places. Lord, would you help us? Help us, Lord, to wrestle with the ways that we have set up our lives to where we protect ourselves from having to uh, live out the mystery that you've called your church to. Lord, please help us. Lord, help us to not feel defeated as we have probably set up patterns in our lives that keep us isolated from others. There's no defeat in that, Lord. You still have given us the power of your spirit to move into the world. So, Lord, would you allow us to identify that victory that we have and to live our lives based on it. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.